This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. I'm Grant Paulson without Danny Ruye, who is on vacay. Producer Darris will be alongside. Looking forward, as always, to tapping into Darris's perspective, representing the fans here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. So there's a few things we can get into. Most notably, welcome to the big leagues, C.J. Abrams. It is happening. It is official. He is in the show. He is playing shortstop for the Washington Nationals. They call him up. He makes his debut with the team, his first game on Monday night, went 0 for 4 with one strikeout, left a couple runners on base. Remember, he had actually played in 40-plus games at the big league level with the Padres earlier this season. So he got acquired in that Juan Soto deal, came to Washington, and after 125 major league at-bats for a contending team, the Nationals sent him down to AAA Rochester to get him acclimated to the organization at the 3A level before calling him up last night. I thought the highlight for Abrams was his dazzling defensive play at short, ranging to his glove side left, deep behind the second base bag. If you haven't seen the play, you got to go check out the video. He makes what was a really difficult play look routine just to field the ball because he went a long way to get there. And then against and across his body, he made a really accurate throw to first base to get an out, again, deep behind the bag. And this is not to beat up on Luis Garcia, but it's just a play that over the last couple months there was absolutely no chance any national shortstop was making that play. And and I would say that I'll say this. Escobar would have had no chance probably since Trey Turner. Would have been the last time that that ground ball at that location with that defensive alignment had a chance to be an out. And I don't know that it would be an out every single time with Trey, and maybe it won't be with Abrams. But he is 21. He's got really good athleticism and foot speed. He's a big guy at six foot two, uh, Not particularly thick. He's about 185 or so pounds. And you know maybe by the end of the season, who knows, sometimes guys lose weight over the course of the year. Might even be a little bit less than that. But I got to tell you, uh, I was just really, really excited that he got called up, guys, because I don't really know what the whole acclimating him to the organization in AAA thing means, if I'm being frank. They did this with Kbert Ruiz last year, remember, after he was acquired at the trade deadline in a deal with the Dodgers with Josiah Gray for Scherzer and Turner, and it was almost the same blueprint, right? This was the first time we saw it where he was a big league catcher, big league caliber in his case at that point, And they sent him down to the minor leagues to Rochester at that time to get a little work and to try to, again, I'll use this word that they use, acclimate to the organization. And while it's not a big deal and I don't take issue with it and I'm not annoyed by it, I just don't really get exactly what the acclimation process is because you think about it, it just adds one stop. You were playing at a minor league level if you're C.J. Abrams. Uh, in AAA or at the big league level, in his case, with the Padres. And so you're going to learn another team and another clubhouse and another way of doing things. And, you know, that set of just basic stuff. Where Where is the gum? Where is the sun, are the sunflower seeds? Okay, how do we go over our reports and our scouting for pitchers at this level? And then you're going to learn all that again 10 days later at the big league club. So to me, it complicates the process in terms of acclimation, but whatever. They're smarter than I am. They know what they're doing. So they sent him down, and he was in the minor leagues for the better part of a couple of weeks, and he hit 290 and had some success uh, at the minor league level 
And so with the doubles and the production, they decided they were ready to call him up. Now, I don't know that he would have come up when he did this week if not for the Luis Garcia injury. And Luis Garcia being on the injured list is something we will cover in just a second because it's unfortunate because he is a guy that you need on the field and you want to try to get more at-bats and more reps down the stretch of this season because those are the types of things that matter. But specific to Abrams, I think fans are going to first notice that this is a, a spark plug and a catalyst type. This is a energizer bunny. Like There are just certain players based on their skill set who can bring some excitement and some exuberance, and he is fast enough and athletic enough and toolsy enough that he can do that. And they don't have enough players like that. Now, you look at their team right now, they basically have three DHs, one of whom's playing first any given day, another who's playing in right field. Joey Manessis, from a defensive standpoint, is a is a big league DH, better than anything else. Same with Nelson Cruz, who is actually their DH, and then the same with Luke Voigt. And so you're not going to be a particularly good defensive team. They already weren't because Luis Garcia historically was having problems at a rate we haven't seen really before uh, early in his career at shortstop, certainly in a long, long time we haven't seen a shortstop struggle with some of the error counts and, and run prevention numbers going the wrong way that he had. And so this is a bad defensive team, but I think bringing up a guy like Abrams is going to help them in that regard a ton up the middle. This is part of why they wanted him in the deal. Mike Rizzo really cares about solidifying that up the middle portion of the ball club. And that's why Ruiz was a fixture with Josiah in the the Turner Scherzer deal. And it's why now you bring in Abrams. And ultimately, I think you're going to have Robert Hassel or James Wood, but very likely Robert Hassel playing center field because they feel like that that is where they're building the strength of their team. Garcia, I think they view now as their second baseman of the future. And so they kind of feel like their building blocks offensively are all up the middle types, which I think speaks well to the scouting and bringing in a couple of guys who are athletes, which is what they want because they just have too many guys that clog the bases. Like if Manessis gets on and he's been doing a great job of that, obviously we'll talk more about him in a little bit, but he's not running and he's not going first to third and he's not really creating any havoc or wreaking any type of uh, issues with pitching staffs, right? Same thing I would say to um, any kind of an on-base situation for Voight or Cruz you know, before that, this season, Bell, like they just haven't had guys who run. Lane Thomas is a decent little athlete, but the majority of their players, Mike Alfranco, uh, Cesar Hernandez, Alcides Escobar, even at this point of his career, who's always been kind of a twitchy speed guy, like they're not going to run a lot. They're not going to create any problems. So I think having Abrams could really, really help in that regard. Uh, is he going to hit right away? I think he'll hit okay. He's going to be probably in the the low to mid 200s, maybe the rest of this year. I would just remind people that it's really, really difficult for guys to thrive offensively when they are young and inexperienced and they're playing in a terrible lineup. And that's not a reason not to call him up at all. In fact, I'd say it's a reason to call him up because I think you benefit from that experience. But just look at Juan Soto this year as an example. While he was still really, really good and, and was getting on base and was an all-star and hitting his home runs and all the things that he was doing, you know, his batting average was way down, and he went through some real ruts this year where he was grounding out a lot and he was pressing. It gets really hard when you don't see pitches to hit and when you don't have a whole lot of protection and when you're one of the key cogs in a lineup. And that's for one of the, the great players in the league and probably the best hitter in baseball. Imagine now that you don't have a whole lot to fall back on. Imagine now that there's not a ton of experience for you, see Abrams, and that you're thrust into a lineup with a bunch of, of jags, basically, a bunch of what I call just the guys. 
it gets really difficult really fast. Now, I hope they put him at the top of the order sooner rather than later because I think it would really benefit him to be batting more often, number one, batting early in games uh, in that first inning as everything kind of gets started. But also, generally, your more professional ABs and your uh, better chance of protecting him and having you know someone in the lineup that could do some damage behind him, whether that's right now Red Hot Joey Manessis or ultimately it's Luke Voigt, who's homered a couple times since getting here, or even somehow if Nelson Cruz were to get hot after he hit the game-winning home run against the Cubs on Monday night. You know, you want those guys kind of supporting behind him rather than him being in the bottom of the lineup, which was the case in his debut. And I think Davey did say when they called him up that they thought they were going to move him up in the order at some point. They just kind of wanted to get his feet wet. I don't necessarily just believe in the whole, oh, we're going to get his feet wet, like we just talked about with the the activating a guy from the minors after a couple weeks. Like, just jump into the pool, man. That's how you learn to swim. But Abrams, uh, seventh in the order with Lane Thomas hitting 231 behind him and then uh, uh, batting ninth and, and playing third in that lineup was Ildemaro Vargas, who has actually been okay. He's hitting about 260 for the Nats with a 785 OPS. Uh, excuse me, no, with a, with a 675 OPS. Uh, but having said that, I want to move up in the order eventually. But I'm going to be tracking him defensively. I think people will enjoy that, and I just want to see him try to put the barrel on the ball a few times. You know, we've talked about K. Barrett Ruiz, who had a two-home run game last week, and his lack of power. While at times this year he was hitting and he was you know, getting on base in an okay clip for a, a catcher, he just wasn't hitting for a lot of power. One of the big questions about Abrams in his career, big picture, is what type of power is this guy going to hit for? He's got two home runs and about 130 at-bats in the show this year. And if you look at his minor league track record, it's just not that extensive. He missed the 2020 season. He was drafted out of high school in 2019. And he basically played a little over 100 games of minor league baseball on his way to the show, one of the lowest totals you're going to see for a high school draft pick who's playing shortstop at the major league level. And the, the pandemic was a complicating factor obviously because he did some of his development not playing games but at the alt site. But for him to have played 47 major league games and only 114 minor league games right now is pretty crazy. And again, he's 21, so he is still developing. He's going to figure a lot of this out as he goes. But I look at, at this season where he played 30 games in the PCL with the Padres minor league team. And in those 30 games, in about 140 at-bats, he hit seven home runs. He had four doubles. He tripled. You're talking about a slug that was 500 in AAA. That'll get you where you want to go. I mean, that gives you a chance, I think, to, to drive the baseball and to hit for some power. So I'm excited by that. In his minor league career, in what is the equivalent of, you know, not even quite a full major league season, his batting average is 331. His on base is 385. His slug is over 500, and his OPS is 900. So he's been a tremendous minor league player offensively. Has not translated early in these 47 games in the big leagues, but I'm really not overly concerned about that, and I'm, I'm just frankly excited that he's here. You know, we, on this podcast, it seems like every time we do this, put together little mini lists of why you guys should be watching or caring about the Nats or what there is for us. You know what I mean? As fans, you're paying to ticket prices. I'm going to the ballpark. We're turning on our TVs and watching Masson every night, or we're listening to Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler. Why are we doing this to ourselves? What do we get back? We're investing time and energy and money and effort. Give us something. 
make it worth our while. And I think that promoting C.J. Abrams in some way uh, does that a little bit because it is a, a reason to care and a reason to watch. Um, all right, so let's talk about a couple of the other guys that I alluded to. First, Luis Garcia. So Garcia goes to the injured list, had a groin and then you know so, something else in the lower body, it sounded like. Uh, maybe some muscles, one based on the other, uh, problematic, and so they put him on the shelf. Uh, this is tough because, again, he's one of the shortlist guys that you really, really want to be watching at the major league level right now, especially because he was about to change positions. He was going from short, which we now know he can't play. Uh, that was glaringly obvious. To second, and he needs to work at second base. He needs to play every single day and just get better because he's going to boot some balls there too, and he's going to throw some balls into the dugout, I'm sure, and there's going to be some mistakes and some errors and some issues, but he's got to play. He's got to be on the grass. So the injury's a little setback in that regard. Here's where I think we can feel pretty good about Garcia, who was still, by the way, until Abrams got promoted, who's now one of the youngest players in the major leagues. Luis Garcia, as of a week ago, was the eighth youngest player in the major leagues right now, which is funny to think about because he debuted two years ago in 2020, played in 40 games as a 20-year-old. Then he played in 2021 as a 21-year-old, and now he is playing this year as the eighth youngest player in the majors up until about a week ago. So I say all that to say, I think you can feel like there's a there's an actual building block in Garcia and a long-term answer and an organizational fixture to come at second base. We have seen the bat speed and the wrists and the hand strength and some of the things that this organization and the people that I talk to that help groom their prospects have raved about for a long time. He's hitting 290 and 228 at-bats. He's got four home runs, and I think there's going to be more power coming. You can see it with where his home runs end up, you know, how often – when he hits it, the ball kind of stays hit. His OPS is the highest that it's been in his three years in the big leagues at 718. His OPS plus is 106, who's so been above major league average offensively. And again, when you're doing this, I wouldn't even say holding his own. I'd say thriving because he's actually been pretty good offensively. But at worst, holding your own at the major league level as a 21-year-old. Now he's 22. He turned 22 in May. That's a really big deal, and it's a really good sign for the future. So the issue, I think, the knock on him was he can't play short. This is awful to watch. This is difficult. Why are we doing this? This is a charade. And he's not going to be playing short anymore. They have their shortstop. They have their answer. They didn't have a better option. You know, this guy needed to play, and they absolutely should have been playing him every day. And the best way to do that up until this week was shortstop. Now you've got Abram, so you can move him over. So I'm just pumped that now you've got your double play tandem set up it would look like from opening day on for next year. And hopefully Garcia, who's on the 10-day injured list, comes back and he gets a month or so of work would be really ideal with C.J. Abrams so they can start to come together and play some ball up the middle with one another uh, this season. But I would say you'd have to grade Luis Garcia offensively out this season as a B-plus or an A-minus. I mean, he absolutely terrorized AAA pitching. He was unbelievable this year. At Rochester, forced their hand. They probably knew he wasn't ready to play short, but kind of made them call him up to the big leagues. 42 games and 175 at-bats. He was hitting 315 with a 900 OPS, eight bombs. I mean, really indicative of a guy who's going to drive the baseball at the major league level. And then we saw it a little bit. We saw doubles stung off the wall. Exit velocities were impressive. There's a lot to like, I think, for Luis Garcia moving forward here. 
The big question I have is going to be, what kind of defender does he end up being at second? Because he has had his problems at almost every position, major leagues and minor leagues to this point. And I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, whether or not he ends up being an average, above average, you know, defensive player. But as long as he's not a a problem at second base, I think you're much more inclined to play a guy there who might struggle from time to time defensively than at shortstop, where it's just kind of unforgivable and you can't have it. Like you can't be the worst defensive player in the league at shortstop, and I could be a good team. It doesn't work that way. But if you look at his maximum exit velocity this year, 92nd percentile, there's a starter kit here that I like for Luis Garcia. I mentioned Joey Manessis. So let me give you a quick thought on Manessis. He broke the Nats record this week for hits in his first 10 games with the organization. He had 14 hits over his first 10 games. He then had his 15th hit in game number 11. He went one for four, uh, hitting second in the lineup, playing right and finishing in first on Monday against Chicago in the win. So he's now hitting 385 with an 1198 OPS. What a story this is. I am of the belief that Joey Manessis is right now experiencing the peak of his career. Like this is as good as it's going to get. But that's okay. What do we need right now as Nats fans? We need stories, right? We need something to get us to the finish line. We're looking for, as I like to say, reasons to stay tuned. He is giving us that. This has been a blast. He's 30 years old. He's been waiting his entire career for this. And now he's got 39 at-bats under his belt. And he's hitting 385 with five home runs. And he's broken a record for offensive players with the Nationals for hits in his first several games. Like, you can't write this script. This is just awesome. This guy's been toiling in the minor leagues since 2012 in the GCL. He was in the Dominican Summer League, in fact, in 2011. Played his first 19 pro games. I mean, that's a... Over a decade ago, riding buses in and out of pro ball in the States because he left it to go play internationally at the highest levels. and You know at different times he thought about giving up. And now he is the main attraction, right? This moment, this second at Nationals Park, right? I mean, is it, I don't know, maybe that's sad. And it changed probably when they called up Abrams. But you go to a game right now when Joey Manessis bats, that's the guy you want to be in your seat for. Not because he matters long-term or because if he homers, it's it's big for 23 or 24, but because that's the story. Is he really going to do this again? And speaking of 2023 and 2024, depending on what they do this offseason, there is absolutely a chance he could be on this roster. I liken him to Yadiel Hernandez. Yadiel Hernandez had had some success as well. I think he had played professionally in Cuba, whereas Manessis in Mexico. But Yadiel Hernandez was a guy who led the International League in home runs with 33 at one point for the Nationals and didn't really get his shot and eventually came to the big leagues and proved he could have some good at-bats and he could hit a little bit. Not a particularly good defensive player. They put him out in left and kind of hope he gets to some baseballs, but he's his best position is in the batter's box. I think of Manessis the same way, and you look at Yadi, who's still not only in the organization, but playing. I mean, he's a regular. He's a middle-of-the-order regular uh, for Davey Martinez at this point. Uh, So I think there's a real good chance that if they don't spend this offseason, and depending on when the new owners get here, we'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but I think there's a real possibility they're going to look around at the landscape and say, well, we're not that close anyway. We're not going to spend big and bring in a, a bunch of new talent. That maybe a guy like Joey Manessis does get an opportunity 
next year. I guess that depends on if they move Luke Voigt this offseason or if he's still here. Because, again, those guys are fairly redundant. I think they're both DH types. I'd rather Manessis play uh, designated hitter and, and not play in the field than stand out and right. Because what they've got to do this offseason – I think it's twofold. Number one, you're, you're going to have to add a little bit of talent and spend a little bit of money because you can't ask people to keep buying tickets and you can't ask people to keep watching and listening uh, and be this bad. You know, it's okay to be bad when you're rebuilding, but you can't be as bad as they've been. You don't want to be the worst team in baseball. You don't want to do what the Orioles did the last five years where you've got a couple thousand fans in the ballpark at a time because you know it's just not a major league product. So I think if you're a new owner especially, you're not going to come in here when you're trying to introduce yourself to a city and indoctrinate yourself to a fan base and just sit on your hands and do absolutely nothing. So I think the first thing you probably have to do is spend a little bit of money to add a couple of major league players. They don't have to be great major league players. But the second thing I really want to see them do is just upgrade this defense. The best way to improve your pitching staff and one of the cheapest ways, in my opinion, to upgrade your ball club is to get good defensive players. You pay a premium for home runs at this point. You pay a premium for runs batted in. You're going to play a, uh, pay a lot of money for a guy in the front of a rotation who generates strikeouts and bunches and has swing and miss stuff. It does not cost that much to get good defensive players on the market who might not hit a ton, but who are going to field the baseball. And they just got to get to a point where when there's a ground ball hit, it's an out. When there's a fly ball hit that should be caught, it ends up in a glove. And too often this season, that just has not been the case. And it's it's not a shocker, right? I mean, at first base right now, you're playing a DH. And in right field, you're playing a DH. And there were times this year where your shortstop wasn't a shortstop. That changes, as we've talked about with Abrams. In left field, when you got Yadi Hernandez out there, that that's not pretty. Uh, obviously, Lane Thomas does a little bit of a better job. Robles is tremendous in center when he's out there uh, for the most part. So that's been one area where I would imagine the defensive metrics are, are decent to them. But he doesn't play every day as it is you got a young catcher coming along who's awesome at throwing guys out behind the plate. Um, but Michael Franco, a lot of time at third base, probably a below-average defensive third baseman. Uh, so it's it's not a shocker. Like, you can look at the team, look at the defensive grades, look at the expectations, and see how we got here with what they are defensively.